0: Hello, Dick. It's wonderful to have you on this evening. How are you? Okay, fine. Hello, guest three. Hello. Is that Liz?
1: Hey, it's Liz. Hi, Tom. How are you?
0: Uh, Hi, Liz. We have Dick on the line as well. Okay.
1: Good. Hey, Dick. How are you? Okay. Good.
0: So, in terms of topics that we were going to discuss this evening, I've I've covered a number of the topics that... um, you, uh, yeah, that, that you didn't want to talk about specifically. But with regards to the potential of what may happen in Salt Lake City in um, 2011, do you want to talk about that a little bit now, Liz?
1: Well, I, unfortunately, I don't have any updates yet. I contacted the organizers of one of the conferences that Dick had identified, which I think is a good one. He, it's quite a long. Uh, name of this society. is the International Society for the History, Philosophy, and Social Studies of Biology. And I think that it would be a really good venue for us to have, you know, for the ALIFE community to have a special session there. But um, so far I haven't gotten any word. So they if somebody did write me back and say, why don't you contact um, the local conference arrangers? which I did, and um, so far no reply on that. But I think the long story short is that we're way ahead of schedule, so they're not even looking to put sessions together until, um, I guess, this coming fall, maybe fall of 2010, so, you know, I'll just keep on it, and I'll keep the community up to date on what I find, and if that winds up not working out, we'll just seek some other conference venue.
0: Certainly.
2: Okay. Yeah, Tom, what we'd like to do is uh, uh, have a book similar to uh, Divine Action and Natural Selection uh, with lots of dialogue. And to do that, we need to organize, uh, basically we need to organize a set of uh, authors now. Uh, and uh, hopefully the uh, meeting will work with it so that we can try to get the, so at least some of the authors to the, to the meeting and then finish up the book after the meeting. Uh, but that's why we're way ahead of their schedule, because we'd like to have a proceedings that's developed in advance.
0: So in terms of the book, Dick, would you like to give an introduction to what you'd like to see in the book?
2: Uh, well, the basically, uh, it's the... Uh, origin of any any system which goes from something simpler to something more complex and how does it do it and, and how can it happen spontaneously or on its own or in what context can it happen so it's a good question uh, the the overall title would simply be origin of design so it could be uh, at the origin of life level or it could be at at uh, uh, Higher organizational levels, uh, social structures, things like this. But uh, 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 you know, evolution is obviously a big, big component.
0: And in some earlier discussion, I think with William R. Buckley, and really this is a, a question for Liz specifically. I raised the point that we almost need an origin of origin in terms of the the philosophy of continuums versus the philosophy of starts. Is not something that I'm I'm familiar with in the broader philosophical literature. Liz, do you think do you think everything by necessity needs an origin, and do you think some of the the kind of problems associated with finding the specific origin may be in our own kind of cognitive concept of what an origin is?
1: Um that's a good question. I think you know, in terms of origins of mind, um, I think that there there is or was an origin of mind. So that's kind of how I came to the question of uh, looking at how did we change from living systems that were non-conscious or not minded to uh, systems that are minded and conscious. So, I mean, it's a huge broad question because it brings in insights from artificial life and artificial intelligence. Uh, You know, we've seen so many, Projects in artificial intelligence try to mimic or simulate the mind and sort of miss something essential, which drives us back to the fundamental philosophical question of, well, what is it then about the mind, you know, the, the mammalian mind or human mind? Uh, there must be some sort of, you know, a special feature and whatever it is. When did it come about? And so that's how I got interested in the connections between the origins of mind and the origins of life too, because maybe there are two phase transitions in the history of evolution on earth that are linked in interesting ways. You know, I just don't know. I have way more questions than I have answers, but um, yeah, to answer your question, I don't know if, if, where does this idea of origins come from? I'm not sure, but I guess it's just a philosophical intuition that. The mind you know cognitive abilities involved somewhere and I just want to explore that question philosophically
0: yes I guess I have this problem with physics that the whole notion of the Big Bang in terms of the origin of space and time seems to me to be fundamentally flawed in fact I can't really think of a way in which time can stop and start in that regard because I think it's independent of our own perception Certainly the origin of life I would also think was similarly problematic because really it's almost a smear rather than a distinct origin point. But even within the smear, what does origin actually mean in terms of, well, if you stop the process just there, you wouldn't actually get life. So is that the origin point or is it the point where you actually distinguish that life has emerged so that's the origin point of life? But moving to the origin of design, that is almost like a a meta-problem. I mean, that is that isn't like the origin of life. That is actually something to do with the construction. It's almost like a, a meta-theory. Is, is that your own thinking, Dick, with regards to talking about the origin of design versus the origin of life?
2: Well, there, there may be some commonalities. I, I just gave you a book, which i like you to announce to people in detail so they can try to get a hold of it. Uh, in this, this book by... Uh, What's his first name? Uh, Robert Robert Laughlin. Uh, he he emphasize what he emphasizes is that uh, well he, he he almost suggests but not quite that reductionism is dead, and that everything in the universe is emergent. Now for him the universe is physical. Uh, uh, I read the book cover to cover, and to be honest, there's not anything of any. Uh, deep importance in it uh, in regard to biology in terms of what he says, Uh, but I think it's uh, if he turns out to be right in his view of physics, uh, then uh, he's turning the whole tables on uh, uh, reductionism and, and saying that everything in the universe is emergent. Uh, I don't know what to do with that at this point, and I'm not sure he knows what to do with it. It's a strange book in that regard, but you're not sure where you left. You're sort of left hanging when you finished it. Now, uh, he does have a Nobel Prize in physics, so I suppose he knows his physics well. Uh, and uh, if only for that reason, I think we should take this seriously and have a hard look at it. But the, uh, I guess what I'm saying is that every, what he's suggesting is every structure we deal with in, in the physical universe is already emergent in some way, uh, though I'm not sure what that means in terms of doing science yet.
0: The other problem with the term emergence, and this came through our discussion with the Evo group of Peter Newman, there was a point where Peter Newman was describing Boyd's, as an emergent artificial life simulation. And looking historically, I think when Boyd's first came out, people said, yes, it was an emergent artificial life simulation, but by contemporary A-life standards, it can't be classified as an emergent artificial life simulation because the the structure is, is so predetermined in terms of the fact that you're going to create a flock that our own perception currently with regards to emergence in artificial life simulations means that it isn't an emergent simulation. So I think what you've caught here in in Loughlin's work is this idea that emergence as a term as it maps onto observations of systems is something that is quite dynamic and uh, um, I don't want to say evolving, but certainly linguistically as it maps onto actual science is changing even now. So my concern I mean really what you're describing is the is the origin of design problem that basically linguistically as we map to these concepts as they change the mathematics, the popular understanding of the mathematics and also the, the kind of bleeding edge points that is being used in physics and maybe even in simulation does eventually get back to get back to lay people that actually use the term. So I guess what struck me with regards to, and you you proposed at the time, a series of origins books, including Origin of the Universe and Origin of the Mind, and I, I just see the origin of life and the origin of design kind of fitting into these broader possibilities for origin books in the future, but we almost risk the problem of becoming dated very rapidly if we don't either define the terms in a scope which won't change or... I don't know, construct something which is removed from language. Does that make sense?
2: No, because science continually progresses partly by redefining the words.
0: I understand and, that.
2: So, so but I'm in terms that, of the but,
0: actual insight, insights are, are, it should, in, in, in reference at least, be independent of that in some regard, or do you think just by writing the book it will date itself?
2: Well, I... I Go ahead, Liz.
1: Oh no, no. Go ahead. I want to hear what you have to say.
2: Well, I I, I think because of some of these problems, I think it's important to uh, uh, have philosophers involved and uh, watch carefully to see if they make any sense. But uh, uh, I think a lot of what's going on here is uh, you know this. Laughlin's talking about reinventing physics, I, uh, but I think he's doing more than reinventing physics. He's He's uh, changing the order of cause and effect in a way. Uh, and it's very hard, having been raised in a completely, uh, how should I say, uh, uh, reductionist uh, atmosphere. Uh, this is extremely difficult for me to understand what on earth he's talking about. So I mean,
0: I... This relates to your own adoption of the term emergence and your own mapping of the term back onto something of meaning.
2: You see, see, I, I naively started with the concept that emergence is something that you can predict from a reductionist point of view.
0: No. No? It's the can opener of a reductionist point of view,
2: an opener. <laughs> what do you mean by that?
0: Well, I'm, I mean the the way that I describe it. I was thinking about this actually because I'm asked occasionally things like the, the recent interview that I did on the C-Run or Floss Weekly to define emergence. And the only yeah. way I, I the only way I can describe it now is to do with my own sense of surprise as it relates to these kind of simulations. So I think emergence is so heavily caught up in our own perception. And you just illustrated that perfectly. That your oh, yes, perception. I, agree
2: with, I agree with that. And the problem is, you see, is that I think to solve the problem of emergence, we have to solve the problem of the origin of our perception.
0: Certainly.
2: Because that itself is part of the problem. Now, I, that's why, you know, I wrote, a, I wrote a paper a few years ago on the uh, origin of perception. And I think that we have to try to understand how a system goes from not perceiving something to perceiving something. Uh, and I think we have to we're really going to have to get down to nitty-gritty uh, in, in terms of uh, admitting that other things besides us perceive things and figuring out how on earth they do it and then figuring out how on earth that perception evolves and uh, the evolution of the perception will perhaps then give us a clue to uh, this concept of the emergence of it. Uh, I mean, look, one way to put it is this. There, there are some people who like to uh, say that each level has its own laws, and these laws uh, are not dependent heavily on one another. Uh, on on lower laws. And it's kind of like the universe exists at many different levels that are almost independent. And this is actually the source of my comment that it doesn't make a lot of difference which uh, program uh, Bruce and Peter use uh, for the EvoGrid because uh, if if there's an emergent phenomenon that comes out of it, it's going to emerge pretty much from any any program they use.
0: You also made another interesting point in that discussion, which was and my mind has gone blank with regards to the specific term, but it related to uh, a kind of weighting of complexity, where you actually explore the simulation space that was you, you weight your search based on the complexity. What was that term? It's
2: not, not, not complexity. It's called importance sampling. Okay. And uh, I've got a uh, there's a fellow, Maven Kellos who's written a book on Monte Carlo methods which includes uh, uh, discussion. He's done research on the importance of uh, importance sampling. What See? it means is it's, it's a relatively simple concept. Uh, uh, well, you know these poems, uh, the Robert Frost poem about the road not taken?
0: Certainly.
2: Okay, fine. Well, uh, consider the possibility of taking or not taking different roads uh, when you hit a branch point or a fork in the road okay now if you can you're trying if you're trying to figure out what the whole scene is not just the particular road you take then you can try to assign probabilities to each different pathway okay certainly so if you choose a pathway which is relatively rare then important sampling is a way of estimating the overall consequences of emphasizing these rare paths and trying to do it in a fair way so that you still get a reasonable picture of the whole landscape without taking all the possible paths but you weight them according to the probabilities. That's my understanding. I've never actually done important sampling.
0: Certainly. And I think the statement you made at the time was that the reason that artificial life hadn't solved a set of problems for the past 20 years was because it hadn't yet implemented important sampling, and to frame the conversation, I was going to the dentist early the next morning, so I wasn't in full intellectual form. Oh, well,
2: look, look, important sampling is not important. <laughs> okay, well, it's a tr- it's a trick to certainly. reduce quitting time.
0: But it's- exactly, and I was thinking on this, and I was thinking actually that's what happens with intelligent agents in a simulated environment is because you have a spread of these things they are really the epicenter of these important samplings and what you're actually describing was the context of a different kind of simulation not being able to solve certain elements that had been simulated by intelligent agents or had been solved fundamentally by intelligent agents in the simulated environment so for example in polyworld the important sampling relates specifically to the sea monkeys interactions with the world And the sea monkeys that survive or prosper or continue on genetically are basically the ones that have been important sampled over the space. So really it's a property of the simulation as well. But what interested me from the statement was that we are now generating so many different kinds of simulations moving in different directions that the the surveying of these simulations and the understanding of how they map back onto language is really the problem that I wanted to discuss this evening with, with Liz specifically, this idea of weak versus strong artificial life and her own thinking on that, and perhaps Dick and my own particular musing associated with that,